Today's episode features Otis Livingston, who is a former KU Jayhawk and currently a sports anchor, sports director with CBS New York. He covers all of the professional sports in that huge market. Uh, And it was great. We caught up with him during the pandemic. He came on with some of our students and we had an excellent time and hope you enjoy this episode with Otis Livingston. Otis Livingston is sports director and weekday sports anchor for WCBS TV, which is the flagship station of the CBS television network in New York City, the largest media market in the United States. Otis is a multiple Emmy Award winner and has reported on some of the biggest events in sports. He was born in Florida, but he was raised in the Los Angeles, California area where he grew up playing sports and was a highly touted college basketball player before his broadcasting career began. In addition to his career, he is active in the community and he and his wife, I'm sure, keep very busy supporting the pursuits and dreams of their five children. Otis is a graduate of the University of Idaho with a Bachelor of Science degree in telecommunications. And it is a genuine pleasure to welcome Otis Livingston to Coffee with Chuck. All right, Otis, welcome. Thanks for having me, Chuck. My pleasure to be here. Um, Hopefully we can uh, have a good time this morning and uh, drop a couple nuggets here there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I promise I will send you a Jag K mug. So you may not have coffee this morning, but we will get that to you. Yeah, Uh, I I actually have tea. uh, Okay, all right. I started with tea this morning. Yeah, there you go. So first of all, Thanks for having the Jayhawk in the background behind you. And uh, secondly, and probably more importantly, uh, you're doing this on your day off. I know you are an incredibly busy person and uh, you're taking time out of your personal life to join our JAG K students. So we really appreciate that as well. My pleasure, man. Cause uh, you know, when I was in school um, and early in my career, um, there were people that took the time out to speak to me, to, kind of give me a little bit of advice or a little bit of wisdom or, or whatever you want to call it. And so uh, the, the only thing that they asked uh, of me was to pay it forward, to be able to do the same thing once I was able to get a job and, and get into this industry um, because I was just like, you're students. Yeah, well, and I want you to, I really want you to tell your story. I, I do want to congratulate you and the Los Angeles Lakers on their 17th championship. I know you're a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on that. And I'll tell you, just for a second, a nanosecond this morning, I was concerned that you were going to have to do work today because of the Le'Veon Bell signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yay for us. Yeah. But um, I'm so happy for him. I, I covered it last night when, when the news broke. Um, but since I'm off, I'm not really doing much. But I'm so happy for him because it looked like he was so underutilized here. He was unhappy here. Um, and, and the thing that pushed it over the top for me was he was a great guy in the locker room. See, when a lot of people, you know, get released or things like that, you start hearing the narrative that they're this bad for the locker room and all this kind of stuff. And it was great to see his teammates wish him well and to say what a great teammate he was. So you can root for someone like that, you know, that goes on because that narrative doesn't play here, you know. And I, I just hope that, I mean, you want to talk about going from the outhouse to the penthouse. Um, <laughs> from the 0-5 Jets to Super Bowl de- defending champs and possible, you know, winning it back-to-back. So I'm looking forward to watching him. And they play the Jets in three weeks in Kansas City. Yeah, That'll be fun. Yeah. I hope. I mean, I, I think the Chiefs will rebound okay from their loss to the Raiders, but um... – Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, I, 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 to be honest with you, I mean, I thought they would go undefeated, but that's so hard. You know, it's only been done once in history. So, you know, there's a reason why it's only been done once. So I think they'll bounce back as well. Yeah. Well, um, you talked about the locker room and I hope you'll touch on some of that stuff too, because I think that that goes with the leadership qualities um, that we discuss with our children, our our children, my children, but our students, our Jack K students. Right. Um, So could you just tell us a little bit about your career path, how you got 
started from an early age and, and maybe some of the, the challenges you had to overcome? Well, I, uh, I grew up in uh, uh, South Central LA, you know, which is a challenge in itself. Um, my mom and dad were divorced when I was four years old. So that's when we moved from Orlando to uh, Los Angeles. And uh, single parent, you know, raising two kids. My, my older sister is, t- is two years older than I am. And so there was a lot of challenges in that, you know, to, to stay on the straight and narrow. You know, some of my best friends were, were gangbangers, uh, you know, guys that were out doing things that, that shouldn't, have, shouldn't have been doing. Um, but I always had sports, you know, and that was the main thing driving me at an early age. You know, they, they were still, you know, good athletes and, and all that kind of stuff. And we were friends that way. But after we played basketball or football or whatever, they went and did their thing and I went back and did my thing. So that was kind of really that fork in the road where you see, you know, someone go that way and me go the other way. So I always had sports. Um, and from an early age, I was bitten by the bug of playing and also broadcasting because I was fortunate enough to grow up in Los Angeles and listening to Dodger games with Ben Scully, listening to Laker games with Chick Hearn, watching our local news that, that there was just guys that were kind of like my heroes, you know, like, like young aspiring basketball players would say Michael Jordan or LeBron James were their heroes. Well, broadcasting, you know, I, I always had in my mind after I'm done playing basketball, because I knew I was going to have a basketball career after I'm done that, then I'm going to get into the broadcast field. Now, obviously the way things worked out, I got into it a lot quicker than I thought I would have to, but <laughs> because my, my basketball career didn't go as far as I wanted, but I had that. And that was really the thing that I really wanted to do at an early age. And it was because of those guys. And, and, and fortunately I've been able to speak to some of them, uh, um, since I've been in the business and kind of thank them personally, you know, which is kind of like a weird situation, you know, when you're like seven, eight years old, and then when you're 20 something, you know, in late twenties, now you get to see these guys and you're like, Hey, thanks a lot for, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, it was a challenge, man, growing up in Los Angeles. And, and like I said, just trying to be on the straight and narrow, you know, my mom obviously had a big influence on that. Sports had a big influence on that you know, my family members who thought that I had something going for me, you know, and quite frankly, I just didn't want that life. You know, I didn't want to be that type of person. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be productive. I wanted to be successful. And so I pursued that, you know, basketball and broadcasting. I was like, I think I was probably like 10 years old and I was in my little tape recorder with some of your students probably have no idea what that is but a little tape recorder and, 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 and commentating, you know, and, and, and just getting reps that way. Just, just, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just emulated the guys that I grew up watching. So uh, that was my early uh, uh, getting into, you know, that's how I got into it early, just kind of sitting on the sideline, watching pickup games and actually doing it in a, in a phone. I mean, in a, uh, in a, in a tape recorder. Um, so that kind of, you know, that was, that was one of the biggest challenges that I have to say, you know, it was, um, it was just really tough, you know, and, and I know people have heard, you know, stories about South Central LA and it's all true, you know, um, there, there are those uh, hazards, there's those danger spots um, and all that kind of stuff. But I was able to be able to, uh, you know, get out and, 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 and be productive. I went to junior high school in North Hollywood, California. So that was another different thing, African-American going to an all-white, basically all-white school for the magnet program. Um, uh, so that was, that was a challenge as well, kind of getting over your comfort, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, uh, being in a, in a majority Black neighborhood that I grew up in and not being exposed to a lot of different cultures or anything like that. So that was something that a bit of an adjustment that I had to get used to in junior high school. And I think it, it's really benefited me as I have grown up because a lot of people don't get out of that comfort zone. They don't get out of their circle. They don't get, you know, to, to experience other cultures and other ethnicities and, and just kind of figure out, you know, how to navigate that kind of stuff. And, and now in the business world, it's easy, you know, that, that, that also comes from basketball too and sports because that's kind of the great equalizer. When you're on a court and you have a African-American, a, a white friend, a basketball player or you know, Latino or whatever it is, 
you come together for that common good. And as you were talking about the locker room, that to me is where those leadership skills come out the most. You know, there's a lot of different roles on a team. You know, there's a lot of different, and there's, and there's a leader. And usually that falls on the point guard, which happened to be the position that I played. So I've always had to delegate, always had to know who to yell at, who to pacify, who to, you know, it's just different personalities and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's just like the real world and it prepares you for that. So uh, I, I'm, I'm really thankful that I was able to play sports all my life um, and be around sports all my life, whether it's, it's uh, like I said, my own career or my children's career or covering sports, which I do right now. Um, I went to the, after, uh, let's see, um, I went to the, uh, I went to KU. Um, I played there for one year for Larry Brown. That was a national championship year in uh, 87 and 88. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for the tournament because I was suspended, which is another hurdle that I had to get over uh, dealing with um, that situation. It never, it was a setback but it was something that I had to get over. It's something that I had to go on with my life. Um, as Chuck said, I, I transferred to the University of Idaho where I did play my senior year um, and I had a very successful senior year, but I learned something during my redshirt year, which is a year when you transfer to a school, you have to sit out a year. That was back in the day. Nowadays, people are getting waivers like it's crazy, but you have to sit out a year and then you know compete the next year. I learned a lot about myself that year, that basketball probably wasn't going to be the thing that I was going to do for my career and that I needed to get really, really serious about what I wanted to do with my life. And um, while I was at KU, I did take some telecommunication classes, um, journalism classes, and then finished up when I was at the University of Idaho. And then, you know, back then, getting to a local TV station was the way to get in to the business. So I charted that path. I did a public access show for free. I had a buddy who was a director during in the uh, visual arts uh, department. So he and I used the, the, the arena at the University of Idaho and, and just put on some one-on-one -on -one shows where I would interview some of the athletes. We put together a recruiting video for the university. We just did a lot of things that we thought people would be interested in and put it on that public access station and, and public access. They're looking for content. So they would run that thing all the time. People would say, Hey, Otis, I saw your thing. Oh yeah. That was, a, I did that two months ago, but it's still running because they need content. But um, that was a real learning experience for us because he was able to do what his major was, which was directing. And I was able to do in front of the camera. And then of course you had athletes on, on campus that wanted to be interviewed. So it all came together and it was a kind of a beautiful relationship, but that was my first time ever really saying, okay, this is, let's step out and let's try to do this thing. You know, um, at that time I was married, I had one child um, and, I, and we had another one on the way and I'm making money because I'm working for the university, but this was just a side thing that I wanted to do for my passion, you know, as I tried to pursue it. Um, let's see, I quit that job, which my mother thought was crazy. It had benefits. It had everything. Um, uh, I quit that job because I wanted to, like I said, pursue my, my passion. Um, we went down to Boise, Idaho, and I worked at a front desk at a, a local TV station. I was lucky that I got that job because my wife's stepmother was an anchor there and there was a vacancy at the front desk. Now, it wasn't a real internship, but I would answer the phones, I would deliver the mail, I would walk the ladies out to their car after the show at 11 o'clock for security. I was, I was like the jack of all trades. And then on the weekends, um, I, was, I would go in to the sports department and I would sit back there and I watched them write scripts and I watched them edit highlights. I'd watch them do their thing, you know, and stuff like that. And I just... I just let them know this is what I want to do. And, and, and fortunately, they were kind enough to kind of take me under their wing. You know, Ed Vining is the guy. And that's the guy who told me when I told him thank you after it was all over, he said, just pay it forward. You know, that, that kind of that was the guy that said it, Ed Vining. So I'll never forget him because he was 
he, he actually went above and beyond and gave me an opportunity. I wrote his scripts, which probably helped him. He was going out to dinner with his girlfriend. So when he'd come back, I'd have everything done for him. So it was kind of, <laughs> you know, you watch my back, I watch yours type of a thing. So it was a win-win for him. And then he tweaked stuff that he, you know, didn't like or, or wanted to do in his own voice, you know, because you have to have your own voice when you broadcast. You don't just read what someone else says because it's not you. But it was a great relationship. And three months later, I had a tape together. And that was another thing. The, the, the director of the show, the teleprompter operator, the sound person, they would stay after the 11 o'clock show and let me do stuff on set. And I'd make a mistake and I'm like, ah, they like, all right, let's do it again. You know, and, and it was just really, you know, people going out of their way to help me. You know what I mean? To, you know, that maybe saw something in me or maybe just saw a passionate person, whether I had it or not, they wanted to give me an opportunity to see, you know, and that was, that was a, a great experience for me as well. Um, so three months later, I'm in Rockford, Illinois. I got my first job. Um, and that's where it all really started. I worked in Rockford for a year and a half. That was during Michael Jordan's second three-peat. So I was there for two championship parades um, because Rockford is 60 miles west of Chicago. And, and, and it's a medium-sized market, but I got big market experience working in Chicago with the Bears, the Bulls, the Cubs, the White Sox, and things like that because we'd go in every now and then to cover them. And I'm, look, I'm looking at a lot of these guys who are working for the Chicago stations and they're the ones asking the questions. They're the ones that are kind of holding court during the press uh, conferences and things like that. And I'm going, wow, I'm nervous because I kind of stumbled into this. It wasn't something that I did my whole life. Like some guys, the, the college that I, the, the university that I went to, we really didn't have a, a program that had an emphasis on broadcasting per se. It was more on writing it was more on editing. It was more, you know what I mean? It wasn't presentation in front of the camera. So for me to get this opportunity, I kind of stumbled into it. I was, I was just going on what I thought I should be doing or how it sounded or how it looked when I was growing up. Um, so I was very fortunate to get that opportunity, but I was kind of quiet during those press conferences. because this, this is the big, bad Chicago media, and I'm from Little Rockford and things like that. But again, that athletic competitive juices, the, the desire to get better. The, I watched them and I said, you know, cause that's what's, I'm, I'm going to be that, you know, at one point in time, I'm going to get there. And I competed um, by, by the second time around, I was asking questions. I was, you know, I was involved. So a year and a half into, in, what are you doing, Emily? <laughs> a year and a half into, <laughs> a year and a half into my career there. Oh, now the camera's gone. Okay. Anyway. Um, I got a job in Philadelphia and that's a heck of a jump from, I think it was like market 150 to five in a year and a half. Um, again, a blessing, you know, I, I, I don't take anything for granted. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, uh, and then two years after that, I was in New York and I've been there ever since, um, 20 years here in New York, um, tough market, but I love it. Again, love the competition, love the teams that I cover, love the stories, the drama. It seems like here in New York, uh, bad stories get more pub than good stories, <laughs> you know? And it's a lot of that that goes around, you know, when a team fails, oh man, sports talk radio is off the hook, you know? There's also, you know, during, during the good times, of course, people are happy because their teams are winning and things like that, but there's always some drama that's going on, like... Uh, Chuck was talking about Le'Veon Bell, what drama that was. You know, here's a guy who's an all-pro with the Pittsburgh Steelers, hold out for a year, signed with the Jets, expected to kind of pick up where he left off, and in the last two years has a, a uh, one-plus season, 17 games, uh, basically hasn't been used as well as he should. Maybe he's lost a step. We don't know. We haven't seen. But the thing about it, he hasn't had a gain over 19 yards since he's been here, and that's not Le'Veon Bell, you know. So – uh, whether you agree with him or the, the Jets or whatever, it, it's always drama here. And that's what we kind of live for. We have fun here. You know, it, it is a tough market, um, but I find it fair. You know, um, I find that their, their fans are passionate and uh, uh, they'll hold you accountable, which is something that I appreciate. I've had to 
and own up to some mistakes over the years, you know, but uh, it, it's good. It's good to be here. Um, and uh, I love what I do. Passionate about it still. And I uh, love to continue to have a long career. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'd like to dig a little bit deeper in, in some areas. And it seems like New York is the biggest stage for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, Broadway and the arts and sports and people are passionate, it, it seems. And, and the pace just seems to be a lot different than uh, maybe Topeka, Kansas or Lawrence, Kansas or right, right. Boise, Idaho. Um, and, and you mentioned mistakes. And, and we talked about this at our leadership development conference last week with our students and, and how you can actually learn from what may be perceived as failure, but actually maybe a learning opportunity. So can, can you share with us maybe what you considered one of your biggest mistakes or maybe failures at the time and what you learned from that? Oh, man. Man, um, that's a great question. Um, I just, I just think that in this business, you're gonna misspeak, you're gonna flub a line, you're gonna do a lot of things that aren't as big, but to you, it's huge. Now, when I used to work weekends. Um, that meant I was on air just two times at the desk, you know. I would report three other days a week and sometimes I'd make air and sometimes I wouldn't. But those two times were important. First of all, it's what you do. So that's what you're judged by. And also early in the game when I was doing weekends, I, that's when you would put your tape together. So if you messed up on a show, and you only had four shows that weekend, if you messed up on a couple, just flubbing a line or doing anything, you couldn't use that <laughs> for your demo reel to get your next job possibly, you know what I mean? Or just to build up that confidence that, okay, okay, yeah, here we go. Because like I said, I stumbled into this business. I really honestly feel that way, that I was blessed to, to have the opportunity to, to do this. Um, so you go the whole week, that's on your mind. You screwed up. I got this next weekend. And then all of a sudden you put so much pressure on yourself, you do it again. So there was a lot of that early on. Um, And then I just learned that you have to do your research. You got to do it. You got to stay on top of things. And, and, And there's sometimes when you're, you know, even in basketball, you feel like you're in a groove. You know, and you, you're just, hey, this is easy. This is what I do. This is me, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, oh, you make a mistake because you didn't stay on top of your game. And that happens in this business as well. The other night uh, I made a mistake and, oh, I was trying to be, you know, I was waxing poetic and I had some information wrong. So I said, Whitey Ford threw the only perfect game in uh, Major League postseason history, World Series history, and it was actually Don Larson. Now, I'm in New York, the Yankees, and I blew that one? Oh, my God. <laughs> and the crazy part about it was I beat myself up. What I'm like, oh, my God. And people were on Twitter, which is now, you know, that's where you go to get beat up. <laughs> and – there's a few people that jumped on me and, oh, oh this, ah, I know, you know, it's Don Lawrence, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, oh, what I feel about this tall. So the unfortunate part was that was actually the night before Whitey Ford actually passed away. So it was a weird feeling that I had, and I felt so, I, I just felt bad, you know, and someone said the next day on Twitter, uh, well, now you can talk about him tonight you know what I mean because he had passed away and I felt so bad I was just like oh how did I but what happened was I looked on I wanted to make sure that that was the date because I said on this date 60 years or whatever it was ago Whitey Ford threw the only perfect game in and I was trying to tie it into the Yankees uh, uh, ALDS series and I went on Google I looked I typed in Whitey Ford perfect game right it came up 
And I just went right to the article and I, I just looked for the date. I didn't look for the name. It said Don Larson, perfect game. So it directed me to the perfect game, which was Don Larson, not Whitey Ford. But I say that to say this. You just got to stay on top of your game all the time. You know, and we have producers. That's what they're there for, actually, to double check. But you know what? Sometimes you got to double check them, too. You got to double check yourself, even though it felt like the right thing. I've, I, I, I've heard it in my mind millions of times. Why did he for a perfect game? No, you didn't. It was Don Larson. So that's kind of the lesson that I've learned. I've had to learn it a number of times over the years. You make mistakes, things, you know, but you have to do your best to fact check, to research. And that's it that's to do the best job that you can. And because you have a responsibility to your viewers to do the best and to have the, the best and the most accurate information that you're putting out. That's great advice. You, it, I'm not an expert in this, but it, it really seems like your movement on your career path was close to meteoric i mean from 150th market to number one in like three years so um about four sure yeah yeah what, four years yeah well <laughs> that that's pretty amazing because there aren't that many people that actually work in the number one market and you did yeah. it really quickly uh and you know some people are are they're glad that they're in the 150th market because you know maybe that's where they want to be or whatever but 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 you obviously had something um and attention to detail those types of things are important but uh i i also understand you're very competitive but are there some other things that that prepared you either through sports or through life um that also maybe gave you an edge or maybe you've already um, touched on all of those um, I just think, uh, I think the main thing is, is that competitive and that, and that confidence, you know, a lot of that comes from, I mean, sometimes I sit back and I think about some of the things that I did on a basketball court and it kind of, it gives me chills or some of the things that some of these really big time athletes achieve. And it gives me chills because you're putting yourself out there for everybody to critique. You got to have a lot of confidence. So whether it's the first guy or the last guy on the team, they've taken that step to do that. I, I, I you know, I, I had a, my son who uh, went to George Mason University um, and he was a four year starter. He, he's playing overseas, all that kind of stuff. And I just think about how proud I was and how nervous I was sitting there watching him play and then realizing it takes a lot of guts to get out there and to put yourself on the line for fans to boo or cheer. And you gotta have a lot of confidence because you don't really know that guy who's your opponent. You know him through film and things like that, but he could be really good and he could destroy you and make you look bad. So it takes a lot of confidence and competitive fire to get out there and do that. Well, it's the same in this business as well. You're sitting in front of a camera and here in New York in front of millions of people some nights. You better be on top of your game. You better be a competitor. You better have confidence in what you're going to do. I think that has been kind of like the main thing, the main, uh, yeah, the main thing that has been consistent throughout my life, realizing that growing up in South Central Los Angeles, where some of the best basketball players in the country are, and I want to be a part of that. I think I can be better than him. You know, all that kind of stuff. It go, it, it spills over to my uh, to this business as well. You know, I, I wanted to, the main thing I wanted to do through basketball was buy my mother a house, buy my mother a Jaguar that she always talked about, you know, when I was little. So I, I'm going to do that. You know, that's what I'm going to do. Professionally, I wanted to get to, it wasn't New York per se, it was Los Angeles. I want to get home in front of my people. And that's number two market. So it's not a whole lot of difference, but it is a difference is one and two, which is the media market of the world basically here in New York. But that's what I wanted to do. And I had confidence that I was going to be able to do that. And that's, like I said, that's been that the, the thing that has been consistent 
is, is confidence um, and, and, and just competitive fire to do things. And, to, and I think, you know, I, I try to instill that in my kids at an early age, you know, through sports and just, just life itself. You know, um, like I said, my one son is, is, is playing basketball. I have another son that's in college playing basketball right now. Um, I have a, a daughter who's in Chicago right now. We just moved her out there last week. She's in this business. She's, she's doing what I do. And she's going to be the anchor of a show, the solo anchor of a show on, on a network called Newsy, which you can see on the cable network. So she's going to be the, doing the two-hour morning show by herself um, starting October 26th. She's a competitor. She, she played Division I tennis, you know. So we have, you know, instilled that in our, in our five children um, that you got to compete. You got you to gotta, you gotta have confidence. You got to step out and, and, and take chances on things. And I think, like I said, that's, that's pretty much been what's consistent. I mean, of course, I have some skill, you know, that some people saw it at at an at a age, uh, um, at an early time in my career, they saw that and felt like I could go farther, you know, and they gave me an opportunity to work in Philadelphia, which was a blessing. And then, like I said, two years later in New York, which again, was a blessing. I never, again, I never take this stuff for granted. I don't think that I'm bigger than the job. I don't think that, you know, I just, I just count them all as blessings and try to take advantage of them. Have some time. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about some of your experiences. You talked about millions of viewers. I would assume when you're doing the Olympics, there are millions of, of people watching that, and you've done more than one Olympics. So, yeah. can you can you tell us about that experience and maybe share a story or two, um, uh, whether it's related to the broadcasting or just an Olympic experience that uh, that kind of comes to mind. Um, I think the main thing for me was uh, the first Olympics that I did was 2004. It was the Athens game. So it was returning to the spot of like the original um, Olympics. And I, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. We were over there probably a month. So we, so we were there getting used to the surroundings, kind of going over things before we actually started broadcasting. I had never been, of course, to, to Greece. Um, it was it was incredible. It was the original Olympics, so I, that wasn't lost on me. The you know the the fortune that I had, and I was hosting a show, uh, a nightly show, and it wasn't the the mainstream sports like the track and field and all that kind of stuff. It was some of the other offbeat stuff, uh, or or stuff that doesn't get as much attention. Let's just say that. Um, it. That was a lot of pressure, <laughs> a lot of pressure. And again, that's where those competitive juices, you know, but it was the first time. So I'm like kind of wide eyed, you know, um, um, I think I went over for like a week and a half or two, you know, before things started. And, and, and then my wife came over, which made it a lot better. I think to be honest with you, most of my, great experiences were because of her. It kind of took my mind off the job and the pressure and all that kind of stuff. Obviously I'm still sitting there when we're having a great uh, lunch right by the, by the ocean and uh, thinking about the job, thinking about what I'm gonna do that night and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, was just, it, was just, it was just an incredible experience, you know, as a broadcaster. I was able to um, do the last video that they sent out for to all our affiliates around the country as well. I, I, they chose me to do that. And it basically summed up all the Olympics, you know, the whole thing, they would go to different features and all this, but I got to host that. And it was, it was kind of surreal to realize, you know, that all around the nation, people were going to see me as if I was like, you know, telling that story. And uh, we played it on an airplane back and I was just kind of like, wow, this is incredible. But the second Olympiad was in uh, Torino, Italy. That was another, that was the winter games, um, which to be honest with you, uh, I think, you know, summer games get more attention, you know, because it's a track and field, it's basketball. There's all these different things that are going on, uh, decathlon and all that. And the other one, speed skating and, you know, winter sports. Um, 
but again, I was a, I had to host a show. I, I was a reporter as well. Um, and I, uh, Shani Davis was a big story. He was a speed skater and he was kind of cold to, uh, one of our reporters who would, cause he was, he'd have to get interviewed every time cause he was winning all the time. He was qualifying. It's an African-American in speed skating. So it was a big story that we were pushing and he was, uh, kind of, they, they took it as rude, you know, his, his responses weren't warm and engaging and all that kind of stuff. So he was taking a lot of heat. And uh, so they asked me to do it. They asked me to go down and, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, how should I feel about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he and I are going to have some kind of rapport or what, to, you know, but those are things, those are decisions that are made and that are, that can be that can flip up a situation. It can make him look a little different. It can make or me. I don't know. You know, it was a lot. Oh man! And my wife was there for that one too in Italy, and we just sat there. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. What questions am I gonna ask? What am I gonna do? You know that kind of stuff. And I went down, and they they as, as soon as it's over, they escort him right to you. So he wins. I'm standing there and. It was weird, you know, and I can't even remember the other speed skater who, uh, at this time, I can't remember his name, but it was another, it was a, 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 a Caucasian uh, speed skater. So it kind of had that to it as well. And I interviewed the both of them at the same time. And I'm standing here and, <laughs> and I did, it was, it was, Dick Ebersaw said it was great. Uh, a lot of people gave me a lot of, you know, but that was like, the moment you know what I mean that was my my time that was and it was like you said in front of millions of people and it came off great I think they both looked awesome you know the the way they kind of buried the hatchet because it it kind of played off played out like a inner strife in in the Americans you know against each other black white blah 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 you know uh, inner city whatever you know all those layers that we have in sports that we don't want to say but they're there, you know, and that was like, that was that moment I was like, wow, this is pretty cool, you know, and, and I was able to, to do it, you know, and, that, and there was a lot of pressure. Like I said, it was the head of NBC Sports was, it called on me to do it and I, and I was able to do it. So I, I, I thank him for that opportunity. And I thank, uh, you know, and, I, and I, like I said, again, just a blessing that I was able to do it. You mentioned race and growing up in South Central, and and then you mentioned that you went to basically an all-white school, and and maybe you're the only African American there, or one of the few. Well, I was a handful of African Americans, uh, yeah, that that went to that school. In fact, Michelle Miller, I don't know if you guys watch CBS News in the, the morning show. She's on there. She was my best friend in, in in middle school, and we bump into each other now. We work in the same building here in New York, which is kind of a big story. But that's a sidebar. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I was wondering if there were, if there were moments throughout your life where you thought race was a barrier on your, either in athletics or your career path. Uh, and if so, how you were obviously able to successfully overcome those. And, and that may be a really stupid or simple question. No, no I, I don't think, I mean, athletically, I think size was my barrier. <laughs> that was the barrier for me. I don't think any race had ever anything to do with that. Um, I mean, I, I think there were times that, again, that, that middle school experience was eye-opening to me and kind of changed my attitude on a lot of different things. You know, I think we're experiencing that now in this country. Uh, people that don't know about each other, really, heard about. And, it's, and most of the time it's negative. You know what I mean? You know, you think of the, the worst stereotypes of people if you don't know them, because that's all that you hear. So um, I, you know, going to, going to middle school, that, that's what it was. I, I had to watch out. I had to not say certain things or be certain places or all that kind of stuff, you know? And as it turns out, People kind of 
took me for who I was. You know, there were some times that I felt like, you know, I wasn't, you know, invited to the parties because of who I was or, you know, that kind of thing, or you weren't able to date or, or, or like someone of a different color because their parents wouldn't like it. And I was told that a couple of times, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, social, yeah, I, I think that it had, it came into play. I think it still comes into play because I, as, as I said, I, I just think that a lot of people don't really get, take the time to get to know uh, other races and other cultures to, to get a better understanding. And now you can say, instead of falling back on stereotypes or, or things that you've heard, nah, it's not true. You know, um, like I said, I, 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 I've been done wrong by black people, by white people, by all, I take a person just on the person. You know what I mean? I try, I, I definitely try not to lump people together because I, I know how that feels, you know, and it's not a good feeling. Um, but as far as my job, uh, I can't say that that's come into play. Um, there's been some things that I haven't done that I'd love to do that I don't know what's holding that back. I think I have the qualifications. I, you know, I think I've had the experience. Obviously, I've been in this business like 24 years. Um, so I've had that. Um, I've maintained a job for a long time. So, um, you know, but I can't chalk it up to say, you know, that because of my race or because, you know, or anything like that, that I haven't been afforded that opportunity. I'll just keep plugging along. We've been going about 44 minutes. You've been very generous with your time. It, it, it seems like it seems like five minutes, man. Well, thank you. You're, you're very <laughs> gracious. Uh, can you just, if you if you've got a couple more minutes, just yeah. kind of take us through a day in the life of Otis Livingston? I mean, because I, I I'm sure it's fascinating, and a lot of stuff that people may think, well, that's not that fascinating. But can you? Just I don't think it's fascinating myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so. You know, and let's preface it by, like, right now is a, is a different time in our lives. So, like I said, I took my daughter out to, uh, uh, how your day is going today. Uh, Chris, my day is going well. Okay. So, anyway, we took my daughter out to uh, Chicago to move her in last weekend. So, once I got back, um, I had to quarantine for 14 days. I didn't even think about it. So I'm actually broadcasting from home now for these two weeks. Um, during the pandemic, you know, early in the pandemic, that's what we were doing since March. You know, I broadcasted from home and it was the greatest time. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> for, uh, so my son came back from overseas. So we had four of our kids at home because, you know, he was done with the season. They, they canceled it. Or suspended it. Um, one of my sons came home from his college as well. Uh, we had a, sen a senior in high school and my daughter who was in grad school was at home as well, you know, so that was a great time for me. I'd get up, you know, I'd look at, you know, on certain websites, I'd watch sports, I'd do all this kind of stuff. I'd do my show, I'd have my uh, shorts on the bottom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or sweats or whatever, and a shirt up top, you know? Um, so that, that was my day. You know, I, I, I go to the range, I hit golf balls in between shows. I do, you know, I just do things and I actually started brushing up on Italian, uh, and, and piano. I was trying to make my time, you know, productive that, you know, that, cause I didn't know how long it was going to last. It ended up going like five months, but, um, that, that, that was pretty much what was going on at that time. But, you know, usually I would, I would get up, you know, and, and again, I'd, I'd read, I'd look at SportsCenter, I'd look at, I'd consume everything that I can from the night before or some of the stories of the day, you know, I get on with my, my producers, you know, to talk about things that we have ideas about, things that we need to cover, you know, usually we go through that the night before as well. But you know, that's what we do. And then around two or so after I've, you know, 
after I've ridden my bike or, or done whatever things at the gym that I do for my own personal time, um, I go in about two o'clock. And again, we start rehashing things and, and coming up with ideas and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. And then it's, you know, it's on to the show, writing, you know, uh, getting more information, interviews, et cetera, uh, which was kind of cool too. When I was at home, I did Zoom interviews up the wazoo. I mean, we had so because that was the only way we were going to do it. We can't do it in person, you know, so we still had to get content. So, it, 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 you know, the good part about it, too, was that a lot of people were were open to that now. Guys that you probably couldn't get a face to face interview on under no, normal circumstances because they have places to go. They got to do this they're too busy or whatever. Now they want to make sure that their brand is being put out there during this time where a lot of eyes are on the broadcast, you know? So uh, that's pretty much kind of my day. And then, then after my first show, which is six o'clock, then the games come on. So in my office, I have four screens. So I'm watching because don't forget we have, what is it? Nine pro teams here. You know, and there are times when NHL, NBA, and NFL overlap, <laughs> and baseball too. Like in November, early November, baseball. So we had all that to fit into three minutes of sports. So that's a that's a task in itself to kind of get weed through the minutia and get down to what's most important. That's a that's a skill to have. That's a talent to have as well. And that's what our job was. So, you know. I've always said, man, uh, I'm just thankful for what I do because I'm actually paid to do something that I would really do even if I wasn't working. I'm watching sports all the time. You know, I'm talking about it all the time. My wife doesn't like it that I talk about it all the time when we're watching games, but I'm talking about it because I have a view on it. I have, you know, experience in it and things like that. I think, you know, going out covering games here in New York, I started out with the Knicks when they were pretty decent, you know, uh, Patrick Ewing, you know, uh, I've watched the Yankees have that most recent dynasty with Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, and all those guys. Uh, the Jets, when they went to back-to-back -back AFC championship games, I was covering them. I was one of the, I was, I had a show, a pregame show sometimes, you know, and things like that. So I've been blessed to have opportunities to do some of the, some of those fun things that you talked about, you know, while you were introducing me, I've, I've covered the triple crown of horse racing. I've done the Olympics, as you said, you know, covered the NBA finals. I've done a lot of different things and been blessed to do them. And, and again, very grateful for having that opportunity to do them. And, and it's just been so much fun. I think this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were, you did Eli Manning's last on-field interview. Is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was, cool. Yeah. Because again, being in this market so long, you know, I actually saw him get drafted. <laughs> so you've seen him from the infancy of his NFL career all the way to the end. And it was funny the way it happened. So I get, I get asked to do network games uh, probably like three a year, probably. And so for the past three years, we've actually traveled with the Jets. Right. So if they're in Miami, we go. We didn't do it this year because of the pandemic. But if we're usually on the road or at the home and they never play, obviously they share the stadium. So the Jets and the Giants never play at the same time at the same state, you know, that kind of thing at home. So that game, it all depended on, okay, the Jets were off that day, right? So, because I think they played the Thursday night before, so they were off that Sunday. The game was on CBS, and it all came down to if Eli was going to play or not, if I was going to be able to do it. Not only was he, he was starting, so I got the assignment. Now, they had to win the game, too, for the post-game interview. So there was a lot of factors playing into it, and I'm like, I'm rooting for Eli, they're playing against my Dolphins, though. <laughs> so there was that element to it as well. So I'm like, oh, I'm torn. But 
all right, I need this for my career. You know what I mean? Uh, this is my guy, too. I've done a lot of charitable events with Eli. I've interviewed him a lot. We weren't buddy-buddy, or had a, but we had a rapport with one another. Um, so I was pulling for him to get that win. And when it happened, you know, uh, it, was, it, was, it was emotional for me. Because like I said, I've seen this guy since he got drafted, you know, and I saw when he took all the hits from his, the giant fans and sports fans in, in general, you know, oh, he's not that good. He's not elite. He's not this. He's not that. He was lucky to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl twice. <laughs> that was a lucky catch on the helmet, all that kind of stuff. So I watched as his career had its ups and downs and saw him handle everything with class all the way. He was always at his locker. He never refused interviews. He said if he, did, if he stunk that day, we got to get him next time, and I'm going to get in the film room, and I'm going to do this. And, you know, you never got anything that was just, you know, too dramatic from him or anything that was going to really, really grab headlines, uh, which kind of was a criticism that, uh, that people had of him, that he was kind of vanilla with it but he never threw his teammates under the bus. He always took responsibility for losses, little credit for the wins. So there was a lot of emotions going on inside of me at that time. And I'm sure it was with him, his final game, probably, you know, as a starter um, and at home, you know, and the crowd was cheering for him and I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, this just got even more important. <laughs> so the final, you know, gun goes off and they run me over to him, bring him to me and I, shake his hand and, you know, and hey, Eli, you know, and stuff. And you can just tell it emotionally. And I just tried to do the best job that I could. I tried to sum up the moment. You know, I tried to put it in perspective how important it was, you know, that this guy who's a giant legend, like I said, two-time Super Bowl winner, two-time Super Bowl MVP, in the discussion for the Hall of Fame, uh, playing his last home game. And after all that he's been through, the crowd was still chanting his name. They were still, you know, they were standing over for him and all that kind of stuff. So I tried to sum it up the best that I could with all the emotions that were going on. And after it was over, I thanked him and I hugged. We hugged. And I'm, you know, you don't normally do that. But they hired us. Uh, CBS did something where they would, they would put uh, their teams. You know, there's a Iron Eagle, you know, and his color guy and then his uh, sideline reporter. So it's, I think the top three teams have a unit like that. But other uh, broadcast teams don't have that. So when they go to certain stadiums, they hire me for the New York market, that kind of thing. They hire someone for Los Angeles or, you know, if, if, it, if it works out like that. So uh, they hire us for that local flavor because we cover the team all the time. So we know more. We have feelings for I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not going to stand there and say something that's not true just because it's the Giants. I'm going to tell it like it is. But I think they want you to have that kind of flavor and add that to the broadcast. So the hug was kind of like, I cover this guy. I know this guy. He knows me, you know, kind of a thing. It was quick, and they, they caught it on camera a little bit. But, uh, man, what a I – th I think it was a hug or it was a – handshake or something that it was just something that was an interaction between the two of us. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a special moment. I, I put that as my, my pinned tweet on my Twitter account. Um, oh, Livingston TV, by the way, if you guys want to follow me, Oh, Livingston TV, <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was again, something that I was, I was fortunate to be a part of. And like I said, all those factors came into play. If the giant, if the jets were playing on the road that day, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have done it. I, I wouldn't have been available. I, I've seen the interview um, because I, I do follow you on Twitter and yeah, I would yeah. recommend everyone else follow him on Twitter too, because um, you know, in this day of, of just kind of polarization and, you know, people just not treating people well, you do a really good job. I think when, when, you know, maybe there's somebody who's critical of what you didn't cover or how you covered something and you're really good about, you know, just uh, re responding to those types of things. And, and uh, I, I think people can take a lesson from that. And, and certainly I appreciate that and uh, have appreciated your time with us today. I, I know we could 
or I could go on for a lot longer, but I, I definitely want to respect your time. Um, I did want to say, um, you, you know, you mentioned that you wanted your career to go on a little bit longer in basketball, although, you know, obviously broadcasting has, has worked out well for you. Um, but when you were at KU, I mean, you were a JUCO All-American. You were highly touted. I mean, this is the guy that was coming into a KU program that had been to the Final Four a couple years ago. You yeah. started games at point guard. I mean, you were a good basketball player. And sometimes well, it's, hard, it's hard to get in the NBA, right? Oh, <laughs> very hard. Yeah. Um, um, it just. It, it, I think it was more – and, again, I, you talked about taking lessons, learning from them, overcoming them. And I think that situation uh, led me in a, in a good direction. It really did. Of course, I would have wanted to be there at the Final Four and win in a championship, cut the nets down, and all that stuff with Danny and Kevin Pritchard and Milt Newton and all those guys and Coach Brown. Um, but there was personality – issues with my coach um, that fortunately we were able to kind of mend years later. Coach Brown is like a guy that I talk to now. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but you learn, you grow, you know. Um, I had, I did, I had all those things going. Um, I think I also, one thing that I, I look back on now and I've, I've again passed on to my, my children is that you can't be one dimensional. You have to always work on your game or your craft or whatever it is. Um, and I don't think that I did that. I wasn't as dedicated as I should have been and didn't take, care, uh, take advantage of that opportunity that I had. This was one of the premier programs in the nation. We had the number one player in the country, you know, a guy who I still call a friend. And I don't think that I was as dedicated as I should be. Having to do it all over again, I think I would take a different tact. I think I would be in the gym a lot more. I think I would be a more, more of a student of the game. KU is a great university. It's the people there. I, I made some great relationships. Um, I, I was able to experience some great things while I was there. And um, I would highly recommend athletes, students. It's a great university, but I didn't take advantage of the opportunity that I had to the fullest. And you learn from that. And I told my sons, yo, if you want to be something, you want to, you want to take this far, you can't be one dimensional. First off, you got to be able to score. You got to be able to pass. You got to be able to do all those things. I was a great passer. I led, you know, the country in assists and Juco and stuff like that. Um, but not a great score, which makes you more valuable, which makes, you know what I mean? Which helps your team more. So it, it, was a, it was a tricky year. It was like the only year that I think in my life that I didn't make all conference <laughs> or MVP of the conference or something like that. So it was a learning experience. And that, again, that retro year coupled with that year at KU kind of let me realize that there's other things to life as well. You know, that was a, a, an eye-opening experience. That it, you know, it took me that long because I was kind of single-minded on basketball, basketball, basketball. And it kind of, it really made me wake up and understand that maybe this is not what's going to be my future. And I got to get serious about what I'm going to do. First, I had to figure out exactly how I was going to do it and then go for it. But, it, it, you know, we learn, you know, years later. I mean, I, obviously, a year or two after that happened, uh, it was still raw, you know, my feelings of, wow, that was a great opportunity. I didn't take it, you know, that kind of thing. And, 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 but I will say this, I wouldn't have ever got this ring if I got that other ring. And I'll take this any day over that because I wouldn't have never met my wife. I wouldn't have had the children that I have right now and I can't see my life without them. So it was a, a blessing in disguise somewhat, you know. Now, if I could have done both, <laughs> but, but I, if I had to choose one or the other, I believe God has a plan and, and it worked well of for you. Of course. <laughs> so, of course. That's the way I think it too. I do. Yeah. yeah. Otis, thank you so much. Uh, it was great visiting with you, learning from you. 
uh, follow him on Twitter. What's the handle again? O Livingston TV. We'll put that on when we edit this for the recorded version. We'll put that on there too. Thanks Does anybody again. else have a question? Or, or do you have it open like that? We do have it open. That's why if you've got the view, you'll see all the squares. Uh, okay. They've been pretty quiet. Okay. Uh, they'll probably all start coming in after we leave the, the call. But uh, okay. thanks again. Yeah. Appreciate it. I will send you your mug. Okay. No all problem. Right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Otis. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Thanks for watching Espresso Yourself with Chuck. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and get notified of any new episodes of Espresso Yourself with Chuck or other videos with our JAG-K program. Thank you.